This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. Most of us have experienced the power of a hippo, that is, the highest paid person's opinion, and how it can instantaneously derail a project, kill funding for user research and information architecture work, or approve some marketing feature that will cause a poor user experience. Senior Manager at REI.com, Samantha Starmer, believes that to achieve success in moving the practice of IA forward in both our individual companies and in the larger world of business, we must learn how to manage hippos and turn them into allies. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. I've had a number of titles in my current job. Um, I've only been there 18 months and already I'm on my fourth title. Um, could change again, probably will change again in the next year. Uh, a lot of what I'm doing right now is actually cross-channel, um, not, not really just online. So we'll see. Ask me again next year. <laughs> but current title is Online Information Strategy and Architecture. So hippos. Why hippos? Um, what am I talking about other than fun animal shots to use to make a presentation a little more interesting? Well, HIPPO stands for Highest Paid Person's Opinion. And it's generally been accredited to Avinash Kaushik of Web Analytics fame. Um, and a little plug, he writes really great stuff and a lot of marketing people, a lot of you know powerful people in your organization um, who think about you know whether if, if you do sales or CRM or any of that stuff. Um, web analytics is a big deal to a lot of them. So he's great to read. Um, I also heard Tamara Adlin, who's a great persona guru, um, talk about hippos last year in a talk that she did and using them to refer to senior executives. And, and I just really liked the idea of a hippos kind of throwing their weight around and you know saying, I declare it's going to be like this. So that's what I decided to to go ahead and steal those ideas and use it too. Today I'll be talking about how to make those opinionated, high-powered people your supporters and to use them to help drive the cause for user-centered experience. Many of us have probably experienced this. Hippos can derail projects completely, so it's really important to get their support. Uh, sometimes they have wacky ideas or they're focusing on all the wrong things and so they can cause a project to end up launching something not at all that you even expected it was going to be in the beginning. Hippos can also kill funding uh, for, well, for any kind of project, but certainly for user experience work if they don't understand what you're trying to do. They can come up with extraneous bells and whistles that you know maybe the user doesn't really want or need. Sometimes it's hard to argue with a hippo. A lot of times, the loudest voice in a room is the one who's heard the most. And especially if folks are used to bowing down uh, to someone who appears to be influential or someone who makes a lot more money than them or has a lot you know, more masterful title than them, people get used to kind of following that and, and, and looking to that person even before a question is asked. Uh, and then you get in a situation a lot of times where other people in the room think that they'll be promoted or noticed if they're also agreeing with the hippo. 
So there could be this whole sort of um, ex herd action, I guess you could say, where, where everyone wants to be on the side of the executive. Um, and so you can just get a lot of people behind um, what are sometimes crazy ideas. Um, you can argue whether or not this is a crazy idea, but I remember when I was uh, at a company, starts with an A, ends with a Zon, and um, we were coming up with the new logo. And if everyone can sort of think of the current logo right now, it's kind of that arrow. And at the time, in the incarnation that, it's, that it was in, and it's, it's, it's morphed since then, it looked really phallic to everybody. I just remember all of the designers were like, um, Jeff, do you, do you really want that, that image to stand for Amazon? And he was just like, nope, that's it. It's going to look like this. And, and we launched uh, the, first, the first logo there for a while was, was kind of phallic looking. And yeah, I, I don't know. Um, a lot of people thought it was a wacky decision. But you know, maybe not. Maybe it was successful. So who knows? Um, hippos can be the people who decide whether you get or lose a job, right? They're the ones often making all of the decisions. Sometimes it can feel like you're surrounded by hippos and there's no way out. <laughs> and many of us hate office politics. That might be why we're not hippos. So I'm here to tell you some hippo tips that have worked for me and that have been instrumental in uh, my success that I've had in getting funded, um, increasing my scope, getting that seated strategy table, et cetera. Um, some of these tips I came on by accident. Some of them I consciously planned. Um, they fall into four main categories. Identifying the hippo, tracking the hippo, neutralizing the hippo, and helping hippos help you. So first is identifying the hippo. It's probably pretty obvious who the hippos are, but you have to understand their habitat and how they operate and how they think and what their goals are in order to successfully make them allies. First, make sure you have a clear or, uh, understanding of organizational structure. And by this, I mean not only who reports to whom, but who used to report to whom, and probably most importantly, who wants to report to whom. Uh, were those power shifts, um, how do people relate to each other in the organization? Um, and this is both from a, an actual number of layers in the organization between you and the CEO, but also just how the company sort of acts about hierarchy. Uh, I've been at large companies that, you know, came through, thank you, as a startup, and they, ought, they tend to feel a lot flatter than other companies that have, that have been around longer. And there's certainly companies, um, I hear Boeing's one of them, for example, where seniority, I mean, that's just, that's the key to everything. Um, whereas other companies, places like Amazon, um, you can be, you know, a really smart individual contributor, contributor and, and still have a lot, a lot of influence. Titles um, don't necessarily mean the same thing in different places. So, you know, even if you're external, um, it's really important to understand that the, you know, what the structure is of the company that you're going to work for. Uh, make sure you have a clear understanding of the strategic objectives of the different departments in the organization, not just yours or not just the one that you're working with the most. Um, this is important because uh, there might be divisions that have goals that, that are actually in opposition to what you want to do. So for example, IT often has uh, cost cutting as a big one of their goals. 
and uh, that might lead to things like um, taking down servers so that there's not as much hardware uh, and performance gets bad on the website and obviously that that impacts customer experience so it's it's really important to understand people's goals divisional goals in advance so that you can foresee where objections might be coming from uh, down the road and not get blindsided. Watch out for hippos in disguise. Sometimes the most powerful person in an organization actually isn't who you expect it would be. In a lot of organizations, there's a guru, uh, maybe someone who, who helped found the company or someone who wrote some uh, you know, little piece of code that, that got well used or you know, maybe they dated the right person, who knows. Um, these people are often individual contributors, but they might have the ear of the most powerful person who makes decisions. Um, and they can, in fact, they can have a lot of input, not only to, to what happens to you and your role, but to your boss and boss's boss's boss and sort of all the way up the chain. It's amazing how, how much sometimes those informal hippo decisions get made. Um, when I was at Amazon, there was a guy I'll call Mike. And at the time, he was just a uh, low-level engineering manager. But he wrote some, at the time, mysterious and seemingly unimportant code. But it ended up becoming the backbone of Amazon's third-party selling engine, which is huge now. And he's um, now a senior VP and can make a lot of decisions. And even back then, you know, he, he people the people in power sort of knew that what he did was forward-looking and influential and, and were already sort of treating him like a hippo. So, you know, pay attention to who those people might be. It's really important to listen as early and as often as possible. This one is really hard for me um, because I get really excited and passionate about what I'm doing and, and I don't want to talk about my ideas and, I mean, that's one of the things I love about this conference is it's like, for four days and then I sleep. But, uh, it's really critical to listen to what people are saying, not just because it makes them feel better and it makes them feel understood, but you can miss things. Um, in one role, I was pretty new and had called a meeting to discuss um, starting doing some information architecture and user experience in, in a more disciplined kind of way. And, and I'd been talking to, to some folks before about this, uh, but in this, this particular meeting was a little more official. And I noted in the meeting that we didn't do wireframes. And I started to talk about how valuable they might be in certain circumstances. Well, if I had been listening a little more carefully over the last number of months, um, I probably would have realized that in this organization, the term wireframe was actually used to mean high fidelity design mock-up. And so when I spoke about the lack of wireframes, I completely offended the person in charge of design and generally confused everyone else in the room. And this misstep caused at least a year of slowdown in my efforts to, to bring uh, a more uh, disciplined approach to, to user experience and information architecture in this company. So it's important, it's really important to listen. Similarly, watch, watch more than you present. There is no way that you can know how to present or what to present without really watching everything around you. You can learn so much by watching people's faces. You know, are they distracted? Are they typing on laptops? Um, are they really hearing what you're saying? Uh, do they look closed off? You know, do they look cranky? Do they look like they're thinking? 
Um, other people having side conversations when you're talking or when other people are talking. Who has the side conversations when who's talking and what do they look like when they're having the side conversations? I mean, really pay attention to these things because it's all of those little cues that help you understand how the environment works and how the alliances work and can help you. If you notice someone that you're trying to convince looking confused, you can ask them, you know, hey, you know, you look a little confused and, and make sure they understand where you're going. Similarly, if they look on, you know, like they're getting pissed off, you may want to dial back a bit. Um, you, you may not, you know, want to go down that road that day. A couple of years ago, I learned this one the hard way. Um, I had hired a uh, user experience agency to uh, do a whole redesign for, for the, the website that I owned. And um, we were at this, the final presentation for the executive who was um, basically the, the senior you know, business owner for the whole project. And the agency was presenting um, their design. And it, was, it had some um, innovative pieces to it that were slightly different than um, what we were used to doing at the time. And so the, the agency was kind of going through their whole mindset and their research and how basically they got to that, uh, how they got to that design. And um, they weren't watching the executive. And they were really just looking at their own notes, looking at their PowerPoint and, you know, making sure that, that they were doing a really good job presenting. Um, I wasn't really watching the executive. I was watching the agency to see, you know, make sure that they were doing a good job. Neither of us noticed that the executive was kind of stuck back a couple of slides. And I realized later, because I kind of, I, I saw it, but I wasn't really watching it or thinking about the implications. Because what ended up happening was they got to the end, um, you know, where they, where they say, okay, and so this is what we want to do. He had not been brought along on, the, on their story. And, you know, a lot of times these senior executives, very high-powered, they make their decision right then. They're not going to take a lot more time to try and understand. And he ended up saying, you know what? No, we're not going to go with that. Samantha, you, you're going to go redo these wireframes um, in, in the non-innovative way. So I had to cancel everything else I was doing. I hadn't been doing wireframes in a long time. And, you know, hold up for four weeks. And um, this particular agency will probably not get hired at least, you know, by this group, at least while this person is in charge. And this was for a highly influential company. And it's not that they were bad. They just weren't listening or watching. Tracking the hippo. It's really important to know how companies make decisions. Um, I've had uh, conversations with people that have fundamentally changed uh, how, how, the way, how, how I go about things. Um, and just by listening to where the, the decisions get made, what meetings are people in? Um, I've literally had five-minute conversations with my boss or my boss's boss um, that have completely impacted how a project would, would launch or even whether a project would get funded at all. Um, because I knew that they, I knew that they were off to, to go to a meeting to, to make a decision and that was maybe even peripheral to my project, but I was able to sort of 
you know, grab the right time and the right circumstance to sort of, you know, give my boss the heads up that, you know, hey, if we do this, it'll mean these other good things. So, you know, if you have any influence in that meeting, can you help us out? Um, I've received the go-ahead on a whole new vision uh, just from a few well-placed words at the right time um, because I knew the decision chain. I knew who could make decisions. I knew um, when decisions happened. And, uh, and I knew or I studied when they would happen. And in most organizations that are at least you know, fairly mature or formal, um, it's pretty clear um, how official decisions get made. That doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of unofficial stuff going on, and that's obviously you know, some of that we've been talking about as well. Know how people are evaluated and how they get bonuses. Um, this is similar to understanding the business objectives for various teams. Having a sense of the goals um, on what people are evaluated on personally will help you understand their motivations. Maybe their goals are in opposition to yours. Maybe they always disagree with you, not because they don't like you, or not because even that they don't think your work is important, but maybe they're tasked with doing something that in some ways is head-to-head is -head with what you're trying to do. So if you understand that, then, you know, you won't be bothered by it as much. You won't be offended. And maybe you can have conversations with them about, you know, is there a middle ground that we can find here? Uh, I recently started working with someone in a completely different department. Um, so at, at REI, the, um, the online group is fairly separate from the, the brick and mortar side, which is true of a lot of retailers. And so I started recently working with someone on the brick and mortar side who, you know, I would have never necessarily thought would be relevant to what I was doing but I eventually discovered that all of her goals are around making the customer first. That uh, totally aligns with what I'm doing. Even if what she's doing is in retail brick and mortar store and what I'm doing is online, we should absolutely be talking to each other. And sort of once we found each other, it was like, wow, you're doing that? I'm doing that. Wow, wouldn't it be great if we could? I mean, it was amazing. But I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't kind of asked around and figured out you know, what departmental goals were and then learned what some individual roles um, goals were and, and how they were evaluated to do things. Because you know, people do things in their own self-interest. So if you know you're going to get a bonus, if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to probably try really hard to do X, Y, and Z. So it's good to know these things. Lay the pipe, the art of the pre-sell. This is really important. Uh, it's a favorite of my current VP. Um, and he passed it down to me, um, talks about it a lot, and it's something that I, I don't think I'd ever really consciously tried to do, uh, but I'm doing it a lot now, and I'm finding it really, really successful. Uh, it's basically, you know, begin to set the stage for, for what you want to have happen months or, or even years in advance. I mean, sometimes it can take a long time to, to, to really implement a vision. Um, I just right now have positive momentum on things that I started a year and a half ago. And some of them won't even get finished now, but they're, you know, they're starting to move forward from months and months of conversations I've had with people, sometimes in a very you know, low-key, unofficial way. Pre-sell your ideas as much as you can, uh, not only up, but down and sideways. Uh, the sideways one is, is honestly one that, that I have um, made mistakes with, uh, kind of assuming that Oh, well, if I sell it upwards, then, you know, it'll just go top down and the decision will get made and that's the way it'll happen. Well, you know, a decision might get made, but that doesn't mean that your peers are bought into it. And if they're not, they can really cause a lot of trouble for you. 
I mean, they may not be, you know, personally wanting to oppose you, but if they don't agree with what's going on, they can, you know, passively resist or actively resist, and, and, and that won't help you in the long run. So, you know, really work hard to lay the pipe with everyone um, who your work might touch. The other thing to think about is um, a phrase my manager gave me my, in my last review that I thought was really beneficial. She talked about making people barely uncomfortable. Uh, she said as a change agent, um, which is really a lot of what I'm doing and a lot of what she's been doing, you know, you can't just kind of always go with the flow because you have to move things forward. But if you go too far and if you make people really uncomfortable, often they'll just shut down. Uh, and, you know, she told me a story where she learned it the hard way, you know, had an idea that made complete sense to her, started talking uh, to, to another director about it, and, you know, she just kind of said, okay, so here's what I'm thinking, and wouldn't it be great, blah, 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 and he just, like, was like, whoa, Julie, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I have this opposition and this opposition and this opposition, and, well, let's not even talk about it. And she had already sort of gone through all the scenarios in her head, and so it just kind of blindsided her that he would shut it down. So the next time she had, she had an idea, you know, sort of similar, she started just really slow and said, hey, Mike, I've been kind of thinking about doing this. Let's, let's talk about it maybe in a month or two. And we just kind of keep having slow conversations with him and eventually brought him along on the initial idea that she had as well. And so I think this... This idea of, of barely uncomfortable, I think, is, is going to be one of, one of my mantras for the next year. I mean, not that I want things to be uncomfortable really ever, but sometimes you have to have those uncomfortable conversations. Otherwise, something, you know, things won't change. Finally, the simplest, simplest way to get to know your hippos is to know where they congregate. At one company where I worked, many of the IT-type hippos smoked and many of the marketing type hippos had dogs. And the smoking area was right next to the dog walking area. So a lot of conversations would happen outside over the course of a quick cigarette and a dog walk. I, I literally can't tell you the number of times where I would go into a meeting and there had been some critical decision made by the marketing hippo and the IT hippo that completely impacted what I was doing. In one particular case, uh, they canceled the usability test because they decided it wasn't necessary. <laughs> and in another case, they decided that IT was going to do the user experience and that we were going to cut um, the, the user experience resources altogether from this project. And that was purely from little five-minute conversation outside. I started hanging out down there. I even smoked a little bit, which was really stupid, but... <laughs> <laughs> And that made an, an impact, even when, even if I wasn't directly involved in the conversation, you know, it's like, kind of have that, you know, spidey ear sense. Can Spider-Man hear well? Who is it who has ears? Spidey, spidey, spidey sense. Spidey sense, okay. Yeah, that's sort of like that, you know, hair on the back of your neck thing when you're like, ooh, those people are talking about something that impacts me. It's really important to hear those, you know, even if you're not in a position to, to interrupt them. Currently... We, uh, my office is a, um, it's an open plan uh, for everyone, which is great. I mean, even the VP sits in an open area. Um, and we have cubes, but they're fairly short cube walls. 
and and I sit next to a bullpen area, you know, kind of a general meeting room area, and so there's a lot of project meetings that happen over there, and you know, so I've been trying to sort of bring an, an IA and user experience discipline, and oh, there's so many times when I'm sitting at my desk and I hear conversations happening over there that I'm like, oh no, you know, they're making all these wrong decisions, and they're going down the wrong path, and. And you know, I can't really sort of stand up and ground, stand up and groundhog it and be like, "Hey, I overheard this," but um, but at least I know what's happening, and can use that to kind of inform everything else that I'm doing. So now that you know your hippo, how do you make sure that they don't sidetrack you, or worse, actively oppose you? How can you neutralize the hippo? Well, first, don't pin them in. Um, don't assume that they only understand marketing speak or numbers or that they're not going to get what you're trying to talk about. A lot of times, hippos, you know, they've gotten where they've gotten to because they have a lot of interests and a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things. Take advantage of that and, you know, be, be open-minded. Be willing to, you know, to see Maybe, maybe you can talk to them more easily than you would think. Play nice. Um, you know, this, this seems really obvious, but I think a lot of times um, when you get frustrated, at least with me, if I get frustrated about, you know, trying to make change, trying to move something forward, and I feel like someone or a group is, you know, just always saying no, it makes me just kind of want to turn my back and not talk to them. And, you know, that's just honestly not going to get anyone anywhere. And, and, and I've done it, and I, it's, this is another one of those ones that I have to continue to work really hard on. Um, but it's really trying to bring people into the conversation, make them feel heard, and really and truly collaborate with them. Don't just do it for the sake of saying, oh, well, I talked to so-and-so, we should all be good. Understand where they're coming from. Maybe they have ideas about what you're trying to do. You know, even if you don't agree with their ideas, at the very least you'll know what they're thinking, which is incredibly powerful. Pick your battles. Be okay with not getting your way all the time. There are just times when it's to let, better to let something go, even if you disagree. Um, here's an admission that I almost hate to make, but uh, especially for this audience, but um, I've let whole projects launch without really pushing a user experience component. Because I knew that harping on it at that time and in that place under those circumstances would just shut people down, turn them off, um, put me in the position of, oh, that's Samantha. She's always talking about that crap. And so, you know, if it's something that's not critical, I've consciously let it go and not even brought it up, hoping that Later, sometimes, you know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, Samantha, you know, you were talking about that user experience thing, and gosh, maybe we should have talked to you about it, because that thing didn't go so well. I mean, you don't want to purposely see big things fail, but that's why sometimes, you know, focusing, focusing on the big things, rather than caring about every little single thing, um, can, can definitely help you in the long run. Strategy and tactics. Uh, we've been talking a lot about user experience and strategy and being more strategic over the last couple of years. But, you know, we can't forget the tactics as well. A lot of hippos really prize results. Results-driven. I mean, that's how they got to where they're at. 
That's why, you know, they're key to the business. And so you could have the most brilliant strategy in the world, but if you can't deliver on it, if you can't walk the walk, you know, it doesn't matter. They're not going to listen to you ever again. So pride yourself on finding ways to get things done. You know, sometimes little guerrilla projects. I've got one I'm doing right now um, with marketing because online won't listen to me um, on this one particular thing, but marketing will. And so I'm going to try and get this done. And, you know, once it happens, then I have something to point to uh, rather than always talking about, oh, well, this is the way it should be. Try to find just one little thing to get done because then you can point people to it. Um, a, lot, a lot of times, too, so many of us, myself included, sort of get wrapped up in, you know, I want to be more strategic. I want to be strategic. I mean, I have strategy in my title, and I was pretty excited about that. But um, getting the work done, providing a solution, that can be sometimes different enough to get you noticed. It's, it's, it's amazing. Educate people about user experience, but don't be pedantic. Uh, this happens a lot. Um, and I mean, we all do it. I think it's somewhat human nature. When you're really invested in something and you're trying to teach other people about it, it's like, God, don't you get it? Don't you get how important this is? Or, you know, this whole thing of, of wireframe and high fidelity design mockups. Well, duh, it's not the same thing. But, you know, to someone else, they have no idea. And there's no, really necessarily no reason why they should know. There's a lot of things about their job that you probably don't know. So think about how you can be educating, but not do it in such a way that people feel like they're being looked down on, or even necessarily that they're being taught. Use data and analytics. Um, I have to admit, I am not a numbers person. I have yet to discover any latent talent for analyzing data. Um, but in a lot of organizations, the higher up you go, the more you have to care about KPIs and TCO and ROI and all that stuff. And um, knowing those financial acronyms are really important. How is the site used? Um, you know, what, what's the behavioral tracking? Be, make friends with your web analytics team if you have one. If you don't have one, try to fight to bring one in uh, or to bring in a tool. It's, it's really key. Finally, helping Kipos help you. Let others steal from you. It's okay. I mean, be generous. Um, if someone really, really, really wants to take credit for your success, um, you might want to let them. If you've been doing all of these other things I've been talking about, you'll be talking to the right people. And it, you know, it may not matter if every single person in the organization knows that you did this thing. It's important if your boss knows and their boss knows and the hippos know. Um, but you know, if someone else wants to play a little game and take the credit for something, you know, I think sometimes it's okay. And sometimes if you let someone think that something was their idea, they, you know, will be a lot more willing to partner with you. Deal with hippos on their own terms. Um, this is one where watching and listening is key. Is a hippo someone who talks about innovation all the time? Try to think about what you're trying to get done in terms of how it's going to be innovative. On the other hand, um, another hippo might be all about Six Sigma and operational efficiency and measuring those results. And you can talk about the exact same thing you're trying to accomplish to that other hippo from a perspective of operational efficiency versus innovation. 
be able to kind of listen to how they talk about things, what they're interested in, um, and just kind of, you know, play on their own terms. And, and, and if nothing else, people like it if they feel like you get where they're coming from. And that will just make them more comfortable with you, and that will make them um, more open to hear what you're doing. Watch out for your own hipponess. Um, I have felt it happen to me. I get a little taste of power, and suddenly I'm like, I don't like that green. Can we make it just a shade darker? Uh, it's true. Sometimes you get, you know, you sort of get into that position where you can make a lot of decisions, and you're like, oh, I get to make decisions now. That's kind of fun. Um, so you know, be careful of it. I mean, obviously you want to be decisive and make decisions, but don't don't just have it be about your opinion. You know, try to make. Uh, decisions based on data, based on information, based on history, and if you're making a decision based on your own opinion, say so. And say, hey, here's my opinion. Here's the direction I'm thinking, but, uh, you know, convince me otherwise. This is probably the most important. Just be open to new ideas. Be open to how someone else thinks about user experience. Be open to what their ideas are. Be open to you know, where to bring people in on a project. And, you know, this gets back to the collaboration thing, because the more you can just work together with people, as high up as you can, as low down as you can, and all the way in between, people will trust you. Um, people will go along with you. People will start to understand what you're talking about. And, and really being open is, is a key piece of that. And if you do all of those things, hopefully you'll get funded. That's the key, right? To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesandarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners. <laughs>